How's everybody doing today? Good. Good to have you here today. Well, as uh, Pastor Dave mentioned, we are uh, concluding our series talking about rediscovering love. I hope that you have enjoyed this series. I was thinking about all the different things that uh, Pastor Dave talked about over the last three weeks, and I was thinking, man, I wish that when I early on in uh, romantic relationship with Sonia and my wife in our marriage, I had had some of these insights and tools, such good stuff. And I encourage you to uh, go back and uh, watch these over and over again in the future. Really good stuff. I wanted to mention a couple of resources that I found really uh, helpful for um, for me, and actually Sonia has too. One is uh, for women only, and uh, it's what you need to know about the inner life of men. And it's a great book to help you understand uh, your spouse or romantic partner. And this one here, this is gold. This is for men only. A straightforward guide to the inner lives of women. <laughs> I think I should auction this off, right? <laughs> make, make some good money on it today because it's like, this is like, what? There's somebody that wrote about that? Yes. Good stuff that'll help us. And uh, good stuff with that. So I encourage you to... Uh, keep watching those videos that are there. Uh, if you want to follow along, there's notes today in our YouVersion Bible app. And uh, Pastor Dave mentioned last week, if you go into that app, uh, find the events, open that up, you'll see King Street Church. Click on there, and uh, all the notes will be there. You can follow along, and uh, we're going to journey together this morning. Well, our key uh, question today, as we're uh, wrapping up this series, is what does love require of us? Now, you might answer that question this way and say, if I, if I love someone, I'm going to work at the relationship. I'm going to put what I've learned into practice. But when I ask that question today, I want you to think about it a little bit differently. I want you to think about it in terms of God, who is the author of love, and really who personifies love, and rephrase the question and ask this. What does God require of you and I when it comes to all our relationships? We'll come back to that question in a little bit. But if you're able to, would you uh, stand with me? We've been going through this passage to ponder, and uh, I think it's great that we can stand and read this together. And, uh, and so just do that with me so I'm not saying it alone. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You may be seated. That's great. Thank you for reading that along with me. To help us to answer this question today, we're going to go sort of to the source of this question, which we find in the book of Micah in, the chap- in chapter 6. And so we're going to go to the Old Testament and take a look at this for a few moments today to help us answer this question. Micah, if you don't know, was the uh, country prophet who was the prophet to Israel and Judah, who was speaking up for the poor Israelite uh, farmers who were suffering at the hands of both the powerful landlords that owned the land and those who were false prophets. There were, uh, the Jewish people were told that if someone uh, was poor, that they were to care for them. That uh, in the year of Jubilee, whatever debt was that they owed, that was to be forgiven, and they were going to have a chance to start over. But uh, these greedy uh, landlords, who were Jewish as well, were taking advantage 
of these people. As well, there were prophets there who, who said they were, had a message from God, but what they were speaking was not the message that God had for his people. And so Micah has this message that calls for social justice, but also call, warns of divine judgment. He, he comes to them and he says, if you don't change your ways, God is going to step in here and he's going to do something. And the imagery that we find in chapter 6 is almost like uh, being in a court of law. And uh, Micah is uh, sort of the prosecuting attorney who is, who is speaking up for God and speaking his message. And the, the leaders of Israel were on the other side. And, and God has this message for them that Micah is trying to, to speak to them. And it's almost like, uh, if you can picture this, two couples sitting down in a room on, on the brink of divorce or, or right there, and, and they're making this appeal, and one of them is so in love with the other one that they're making this appeal to try to get them to, to restore the relationship. And God is the one who wants to restore the relationship. And so God's argument for restored relationship to them is actually not based on them keeping his laws. That's a part of it. He actually appeals to them on their history together, on all that God had done for them. But their response, which we'll read in a moment, is this. God, what more do you want from me? What do you want from us? What other rules do you want us to follow? And sadly, they missed the whole point of relationship with God. I want you to sort of keep that imagery in your mind because as we unpack this today, I want you to get maybe a a new understanding of what relationship with God means and the love that he has for us and his commitment to that relationship. Uh, Micah 6, 3 to 8 uh, says this. God says through Micah here, he says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery. And he he names a number of other things that he's done for them and and says, and remember your journey from Achaia Grove to Gilgal. When I, the Lord, listen to this, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. And listen, this is their response. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring and burn offerings? Should we bow before the God most high with offerings of year, uh, yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and tens of thousands of uh, rivers of olive oil? Should we even sacrifice our firstborn child to pay for our sins? You can see the, the extreme there. They're saying, what, do, what more do you want from us, God? And he says this, no. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what's right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Imagine Micah appealing to the people of Israel on God's behalf. God has all this history that he has with them. He's done so much for them so that they would never doubt his love, his faithfulness, his commitment to relationship with them, and their response, all they can ask is, what more do you want from us? They just didn't get it. And so Micah's message is simple. 
God's love for you is so great, there's nothing that you can do to earn it or to stop it. I want you to think about this for a moment. Take this personally. Let this sink in for you personally today. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's love or to stop him from loving you. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's love or to stop him from loving you. And Micah's, uh, at the end of his, the book that he writes, his message, in chapter 7, he backs this up in verse 18 to 20. Listen to what he says here. Where is there another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, or Israel, his chosen people, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. Now, let me just clarify something here. Micah is not suggesting that God here is winking at sin or uh, letting the offense slide. It's okay. You know, you did that thing. You, you broke that law. You sinned. It's okay. I, I can sort of overlook it. I'll, I'll turn away here and, and look the other way on this one. No. No one bribes God. No one uh, does enough good things where God says, okay, we'll let that one slide. No. We are all sinners born that way. We can't even get to God except for God doing it for us, which he did when Jesus, God in the flesh, came, died on the cross, paid for our sin, made a way for us to have relationship with God. So don't, don't think that God is he's saying here, oh, I'll just overlook that. No, no. There's great cost that's been paid so that we can have relationship with God. He's not like a partner who allows the lover to take advantage of them or to walk all over them or to abuse them and then welcomes them back. No. Restitution has to be made. And I am so thankful that Jesus came and made restitution on my behalf so I could have relationship with God. Now you might be here today and go, well, Al, I'm still not convinced that God is love. I see a lot of stuff going around me that sort of says otherwise. Well, stay with me. Because I really think God is love. In fact, I think he's the master class instructor on relational love. And so let's look to 1 John chapter 4, where John sort of gives us a TED talk here on what God is like in his love. And, we, and Pastor Ken read it this morning, but I think it's worth reading again. Listen to this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from who? God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone does not, who does not love does not know God, for God is? You guys got it. I just hold up my ear and you answer it. That's great. Who knew that would work? God showed how much he loved us. 
by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And listen to this. I love this one. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, John has this way of just sort of, dear friends, you know, listen to this. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. And furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us because we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live Love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect so that we will not be afraid on the day of judgment because we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Let me unpack this real quick for you. Love comes from God, and God is love, and he demonstrated it by Jesus coming. It's real love. When we love each other, the love of God is expressed in us and through us. And the Holy Spirit who has come to live in us as believers engages that love so that we love more perfectly. And as we live in this relationship with God, that love in us that comes from God will grow and become more perfect because God expresses it. So if you don't get that, let me help you with a bit of imagery. I, imagery. I need a couple of volunteers. I'm going to ask Pastor Gary and Pastor Ken to come. Come on up here. Uh, Pastor Dave talked about this triangle idea in relationships, all right? So I need one of you to stand back here. Pastor Ken, you're, you're the most godly, so you'll be God. Come on over here. <laughs> don't question it. I, it's okay. It's all right, all right, all right, all right? And Pastor Gary is over here, all right? And this is triangle. And what happens is, even if Gary doesn't know God, the closer I get to God, and the more that I talk about him, and the more that his love flows through me to Gary, there's something about God, even if he doesn't know him, that suddenly begins to become attractive, right? And the closer that Gary and I get, and not only, not so much even by words sometimes, the way that I live my life and the closer I get to God, the more he begins to be drawn to God. Now, how many of you are uh, Star Trek people? You know the tractor beam, right? Where it, lo- it locks on and begins to pull in. It's this tractor beam idea where God begins to pull Gary towards him, right? Closer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. That's it. You guys, we didn't even, we didn't even practice this, you know? This, yeah, they're all over it. And that's what happens. And then as Gary walks in relationship with God, and I do, whenever Gary and I begin to have an issue, who steps in on it, right? God begins to speak and go, Al, you can't hold that offense against Gary. My love, you need to love him. 
You need to let me work through it. And even if it's hard, and it's not hard for, for me to love Gary, maybe, well, I, sh- I should say that, no, the other way. Here. It's not hard for Gary to love me because he's closer to Jesus. It's maybe harder for me because I, ne- I need a lot more work done on me, right? But God, he goes, no, no, Al. You don't get the option to just say, cut it off. Don't bother with Gary. You need to work on that relationship so that restoration happens because then my love can flow more perfectly. And even if I get out here, interestingly enough, sometimes God will work through Gary to help bring me back in. You see how that triangle works? And it helps us understand. Give them a hand. They did a great job. Yeah. It's that picture of how God's love works to pull us in so that he not only works in us with his love, but works through us to the people around us. But there's a problem. And the problem is our sinful nature. It's not natural or easy for us to love. Now, some people, you know, it's like, oh, I have no problem loving. Yeah, you can pick the people because you're, you know, you already have relationship with them. But if I said, hey, you need to love this person, you're like, whoa, that's a little bit far out for me. I don't know if I can love that person. We don't get to pick and choose. And this is the problem, is that because we're human, we struggle with loving people. This is humanity. This is the other side of it. And, and, and you think, well, this is not, this is not really something new. Uh, I was reading some, as I'm doing some courses at Tyndall, uh, St. Basil of Caesarea in, in 300 AD writes this. And think about these words as I write them and, and what's happening here. He says, we have been carried away to the imitation of evil by the contentiousness that possesses our souls. So then the judges of those who fail are merciless and harsh, right? Someone fails, and how, many, how easy is it for people to judge? You know, we do that quickly. Oh, you know, go on social media. You see it all the time. As soon as someone fails, makes a mistake, everybody's over it, all over it. It says, while the critics of the upright are senseless and hostile, so great an evil is, is seemingly established in us that we have come more irrational than beasts, that at least heard with their own kind, while for us the mo- most cruel war is waged against our own kin or family. We are bent towards this thing, away from loving. We are pulled towards selfishness and getting our own way and disagreeing and judging, being easily offended by others, stonewalling, as we've talked about, giving the silent treatment. And then we have the gall to tell others, well, that's just the way I am. I'm not going to change anytime soon, so you better get used to it. Really? I don't think we have that option. It's not going to work. So the question becomes, how do we change? How do we do what's required of us? Well, the good news is that relationship with God is the starting point. God not just uh, works in us and requires us to do these things. He enables us by the Holy Spirit to do these things as we read about. What are they? To do what's right. 
See, God always requires right action from us, but he always empowers us to follow through. You know, we have to think about, okay, in situations at work or at school or uh, with family or friends or uh, in, in our marriage and with our children, all sorts of relationships, whatever they are, we're always confronted with this question, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to say in this? And if we're willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit in us is saying, he wants to help us to get it right. And sometimes that means standing up and saying what needs to be said, and other times it's you're needing to shut up and not say anything. I'm sorry if that word offends you because we, we weren't told, we told our kids, don't say shut up, and I can't believe I just said it in church. <laughs> but you get the idea. There are times where we need to listen, and God is asking, what is the right thing to do? Do it, he's saying. Martin Luther King Jr., which is a great message from him, the time is always right to do what's right. The time is always right to do what's right. Uh, And the next thing that Micah helps us with this, in relationship with God, God requires and enables us to love mercy. See, God is always asking us to show mercy because of the mercy that he has shown us. The problem is, is that when someone offends us, we, we, we disassociate ourselves from them and justify the ability to not show mercy to them. You know, we, we tell ourselves, well, you know what, that person doesn't deserve mercy. That person, you know, we may not say it out loud, but in our motivations and how we're doing things, there's certain people that we cut off from mercy. And God is saying, love mercy. Go on the side of mercy. Don't be the person who quickly judges other people. But put yourself, associate yourself, and put yourself in their shoes. That if you were that person who messed up royally, we all do it, that someone would say, it's okay. I'm going to show you mercy in this situation. It reminds me of a time I was, uh, we were, this is when we were in, I was in Bible college and we went on this long trip up into northern BC. I get a speeding ticket and, I'm, and uh, the next day I'm back home because it's a long trip, I get back. The next day I get pulled over again, right? It's on my record. I've got a speeding ticket the, ne- the day before. And the officer pulls me over and I'm on my way to church of all things and he pulls me over and he says, you know what you were doing? Yeah, officer, I know what I was doing. Yep. I was speeding, and I'm thinking, okay, he's just gonna he's gonna launch it at me, right? And he says, okay, I'm gonna write this up, and here you go. He said, this is a written warning. I said, what? I've never had one of these before. This is a written warning, okay? Slow down. All right, I'm not gonna give you a ticket today, but here is a written warning to remind you, all right, to slow down. I said, officer, thank you so much. That was so you know kind of you to do that. You know what I did with that? I stuck it in my visor. So that every time I'm driving down the road and I look up in the visor, I'm thinking, okay, that officer showed me mercy. I deserve to get another ticket, right? And it sort of helped me and reminded me I should slow down too, which is the whole point of it, right? (laughs) My point is, 
Love mercy. Side with mercy. Show mercy to others. Henry Nouwen, a great um, <clears throat> writer and uh, theologian that just loved God, he wrote these words, we need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak. That is the human family. Love mercy. And then we're to walk humbly. See, God is always on the side of humility, which requires us to change sides. See, we can be right and be wrong at the same time. Because we, when we begin to take pride in our rightness, not righteousness, in our rightness, you know, that we take pride in the idea that I'm right and you're wrong, when we begin to step into that and have that pride, we actually move to the offside of God or the opposite side. You say, well, how do you know that? These verses are repeated. I think it's repeated three times in, in the Bible. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's this idea, when we begin to have pride in our life and walk in that in any way, shape, or form, and I know it comes easy, right? We're successful at one thing, and we start to, you know, like, yeah, I think I got this figured out, right? And we just get a little bit there. We have to remind ourselves, God opposes the proud. So whenever we start to have pride in our life, we are offside, even if we're right about something. It's the attitude of our heart that God is looking for. Uh, St. Ignatius wrote this, Above all, remember that God looks for, for solid virtues in us, such as patience, humility, obedience, abnegation of your own will. That is the goodwill to serve him and our neighbor in him. Now, before I leave you there, because I got one more last thing here I want to help you with. One of the things that I think we all have to experience in our lives is this revelation of the love of God. If we're going to walk this out, if we're going uh, to uh, do what is required of us and live, out, live the way God wants us to live, I really think we have to have this revelation of God's love in our lives. And when we have that revelation, it motivates us to do right in our relationships. It motivates us to do right. And when it's happening, God is saying to me, Al, you need to do this for Sonia. Al, you need to do this for someone here at the church. Al, you need to do this for your neighbor. And he keeps reminding me, and when I have this revelation of God's love, he keeps reminding me, because of my love for you, you need to love that person, and keep trying to it. Yesterday I was uh, shoveling snow. Anyone else doing that? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm out there with a the snowblower, and I see the neighbor across the street who I haven't even had a chance to connect with, and a newer neighbor. And, and he's out there, and he's trying to clear this snow that's hanging from his overhang. And I had this idea, which I, I miss, missed the moment, that I was going to uh, grab one of these poles that I have in my garage for painting, the extended ones, and I was going to offer it to him to try to do this. 
And I'm in the midst of the moment because he had a snowball and he got it off and it, that was it. But the idea is this, even though I missed that, it, it, God is always reminding me about the do the right thing, which is to find an opportunity to connect with my neighbor so in some way, out of relationship, I can influence him. I, I know God's going to keep working on that to try and have another opportunity come. But do what's right. God, the revelation of God's love motivates us to do right in our relationships. It reminds us to love mercy in our responses. See, oftentimes, don't you find our initial response in a relationship or with someone else is to react to it, right? And we end up, I don't know about you, but I do, I end up saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing because, you know, whatever's going on, I'm hungry or, or I'm, uh, you know, tired at that moment and I react to the situation and then afterwards I have to go back and make things right. Where if I would stop myself and go, okay, I'm going to try not to react to this situation, but respond to it. And how would Jesus want me to respond? Show mercy. And finally, the revelation of God's love moves us to walk humbly with him in our daily lives. He keeps working on us. He keeps uh, reminding us to keep on the path of humility so that we don't get offside or off course away from God and going down a path that's away from him because of our pride. Revelation of God's love does that. I had the opportunity on Friday to um, watch that Jesus Revolution movie. I don't know if you've seen it or not. If you haven't, you need to go see it. It's really good. So it's the, based on the story of, of um, uh, Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith and, and the Jesus movement that happened uh, before, well, I was like two years old or something around that time. And uh, you know what I really love about it? The, the movie depicts this idea that the, that the Jesus movement was this thing that pulled people in. They were searching for answers. They were, they were going to everything else to find answers. But then when they would come and hear about Jesus, it wasn't just a message about him. It wasn't just a list of rules. It was about relationship. These young people would come into the church and they would respond saying, welcome home. Welcome home. And isn't that the message that God has for us? Isn't that where we get this revelation of love? Is the idea that God is calling us to come to him. That he loves us. He loves you and I so much that he says, come as you are. Don't try to work to get it all figured out before. Don't try to clean up your life and all these things. Come to me. Let me do the work on you. And shape you to become, as Pastor Dave prayed today, become more like Jesus. I can remember when I was 18 years old. It was shortly after I had, had committed my life to Christ. And I remember I was at this meeting and I was struggling during that time, those early months of just being a believer, of, of trying to do the right thing. Of working through some, some stuff in my life that I knew wasn't right. And I, and I kept trying to follow the rules. And I just got to this place where I was like, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I remember standing in this gathering. And all, this person came up to me and they just placed their hand on my shoulder, nothing special. And they just began to pray for me. And let me tell you, 
I had a revelation of God's love, and it was like God was impressing on my heart, Al, there is nothing that you can or can't do that's going to stop me from loving you. There's nothing that you're going to do that's going to make me more proud of you or to care about you more than I do right now. And my heart, it broke at that moment because I, I was carrying that heavy load of, of keeping the rules and trying to do all the right thing. And I couldn't do it. And maybe you're here today and you're just you're carrying something, a heavy load, and you're trying to do the right thing, and maybe you've messed up and done some things, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if God can forgive me. I don't know if I can get through that thing. I don't know if, if I'm on the path or I'll ever get to the path that God has for me. Listen to me. God's message to you today is that he loves you, and he's with you. Think about that. And he is going to help you and work in your life but he has not abandoned you. He loves you. And it's only, I really believe this, it's only when we have that revelation of God's love for us that it transforms how we do things and how we live our lives because it's no longer about just following the rules and doing the right things. It's about a God who loves me so unconditionally and cares so much about me. How can I not? How can I not want to do whatever he wants me to do? Because I know he has the best for me. He didn't say it'd be easy. He didn't say my life would be perfect or there wouldn't be things where I'm like, God, I got a lot of questions for you one day. And I may never get those answers in this life. But I can hang on to this truth that he loves me. And he loves you. Can I pray for you today before Pastor Dave comes back? Father, thank you so much that you love us so much. God, I pray for every person here today, Lord, that they would have a revelation of your incredible, unending love for them. And maybe this is brand new for them. Maybe they've never felt that. Maybe this is like they're just searching for answers. I pray you would come and reveal yourself to them and your love for them today and make it transformative, God. But I'm pretty sure there's other people here today, God, who maybe a long time ago had some experience of that, but today it's not quite the way it was. And their love for you is not where it should be. And it, and it feels a lot like following the rules these days or doing all the right things just to, to please you. God, I pray that you would give them a fresh revelation of your love today that would transform the way they look, not only at themselves, not only at you, but how they look at other people so that they could become more like Jesus and that your love would not only flow to them, but flow through them to love the people around them. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.